and welcome to Marginally Geek. I'm Lauren Yarbrough. And I'm Luke Back. And together, we're the creative team that keeps this podcast going. If you're just joining us, Marginally Geek is a podcast dedicated to showcasing the diversity that's always been the cornerstone of the geek community by focusing on individual experiences. So each month we'll be interviewing someone new about their life as a geek, their thoughts about fandom, and generally all the things that interest them. While anyone's welcome to listen to the podcast, and we hope that you do, we'll be prioritizing the voices of women, people of color, people on the LGBTQIAA spectrum, people with disabilities, the neurodivergent community, and our elders. Today, I'm talking to a local rock singer and all-around excellent human, Ronan Cohn. But before that, we'll be premiering our first Marginalia section. Yeah, it's been a busy month, and our next air date is scheduled for the beginning of January, so it'll be another busy month before we're back. While most of our interviews take place significantly ahead of our dates, we wanted to set aside some time to talk about and respond to current events. The most obvious one for us is the U.S. election. It's not a geeky thing, so we're not going to linger. But uh, suffice it to say that Marginally Geek is a strongly anti-fascist podcast. We will not tolerate or provide a platform for any points of view that endorse the oppression or disenfranchisement of anyone based on their race, creed, gender, gender identity or orientation, uh, sexuality, age, ability, economic status, religion. You get the idea. Yeah, we hope that all goes without saying, given the mission of this podcast, but, you know, we wanted to be explicit. While we exist to talk geeky stuff, we can't in good conscience towards our community stay silent on this. So, on to the main event. This week, in what we're calling Geekery of the Week. Geekery of the Weekery. Geeky, oh god. Um, <laughs> actually, that doesn't make sense, because it's a month. Geekery of the monthery? No, absolutely not. Anyway, um, we're talking about Doctor Strange. Um, Doctor Strange, the movie specifically, which is old news to the internet, but we finally got out and saw it on Saturday. Like, like three days ago. Like, like, a, like a, a little while. It, um, it, it didn't suck. I feel like we're gonna be ostracized from the internet for saying this, but like it. it Look, I think I think that like as long as we actually have the conversation about why it could be problematic, um, you can you can still have like the the pushback against like I I think a lot of the times we take the easiest form of a problem and we're just like that's a problem we can't deal with it as opposed to like doing something that approaches a nuanced reading. Also. Um, the most important part of this movie is, uh, Bendy Dix's American accent, which is just, it's, it's, it's beautiful. It's, 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 it's a, it's a work to behold. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. It was like somebody watched Inception and was like, you know what though? We can do more with that. I mean, it's so for those of you who are not like following along on the tumblers to the latest and greatest of the uh, the discourse, capital D, um, oh, people were upset about 
uh, Doctor Strange long before it came out because a character called the Ancient One, uh, who is Doctor Strange's like teacher, is the one that introduces him to the mysteries of what is basically just a, a very specific form of magic. Um, yeah, I mean, it's Eastern mysticism sort of stirred up and having all of the distinguishing labels torn off. And well, it's, it's like, it's yeah. very like Order of the Golden Dawn, like, any, anyway, it's, it's like a specific kind of magic. But in the, in the comics, it's taught to him by the Ancient One, and the Ancient One is like this old Asian man. Um, and in the movie, they cast that character as Tilda Swinton, um, who is very good at being old and kind of weird and, you know, patron saint of what the fuck is going on with you. Yep. Um, yep. all praise. And so the, the internet was upset because like erasing Asian characters and like whitewashing. And I mean, practically speaking, like just affording fewer casting opportunities for like Asian people to be in movies. Um, but depending on how you look at it in this particular case, because the whole I am going to journey to the East to learn how to find myself and also magic, like, I feel like that's like so played out at this point. <laughs> Um, I don't, I don't, I don't think they necessarily made a mistake in choosing to just be like, yes, this is an American point of view. I mean, just aside from the choice of like Benny Dix as our main character, um, like he was super American. There were some like self-referential, self-aware bits in there where they were like, yep. This is a uh, Western buildings, Roman, and uh, mm. we're just gonna go with it. Um, you know, it's it's certainly not the most socially aware thing that the comics movie verse has afforded us. But you know, I could I, I could certainly see an argument for having a good time. And like I said, beautiful Inception like effects. Yeah, and I think that you kind of touched on this, but I think that like really, what I really took away from it was that like. Doctor Strange is a product of the, what, 70s, 80s? Um, and there's some, like, troubling Orientalist shit going on with his story. Like, Ooh, boy. goes to the East, gets this mystical knowledge from the people there, comes back, saves the day. Um, and, like, by... Like Batman. By trouble... Mm, mm. Oh, right. Well, specifically like Christopher Nolan, Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Rachel Ghoul in that one, again, British dude. I mean, we just haven't outgrown our daddy issues with the UK, I guess. I mean, that's <laughs> probably part of it. Like, that's um, just what we're working through as a nation. But like, I, th- I, th- I feel like by casting Tilda Swinton and by talking about specifically like she's Celtic and very old. And then we also run into Wong. And Wong, it turns out, I didn't know this in the comics, because I'm not, I'll, I'll be really upfront and say that I'm not a Doctor Strange old school fan. Um, in the comics, he's just Strange's, like, servant. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what I heard as well. He's much more interesting now. Right. And so, like, by incorporating a character who is of Asian descent... And is an actual character and like giving him the time to like develop where they t- take the ancient one and make them not 
Asian. I mean, I but th- on the other hand, there's also just one, you know? Like, I mean, you, could, you could get the same level of representation with a superhero movie that took place in the U.S. We do see, like, the whole Hong Kong branch of the, like, the, of the order. Sure. And they're all Asian. Yeah. At a certain point. But they also like, don't speak. Right. No, I hear your point. Mm-hmm. Um, it should also be noted that we are a couple of um, Americans, neither of whom have any Eastern ancestry that we know of. I mean, anything's possible, I guess. <laughs> but like... I've been surprised before. But like, this isn't, this isn't necessarily our, our wheelhouse. Um, so like, if you have other points of view, more than happy to hear them. Um, but I thought that they dealt with, I thought that they were, as much as Marvel ever is, aware of the problems and like trying to address them in an intelligent way. Yeah. If you're a Marvel screenwriter with really good taste in podcasts, email us at marshallygeek at gmail.com and uh, tell us about your process. <laughs> Aim high. Aim high. I think it's... it. For, like, maximum fun time having, it requires more prior fandom than, say, Iron Man. I mean, maybe that's just me. But, like, there's so much in Doctor Strange where I was like, yeah, I know how this goes. Uh, (laughs) It's the hero's journey. It's the part where you have to outgrow your tutor. This is the part where we're Marvel. We're going to tease you on our next villain. Like, this is the guy who's too famous to be in here for too much longer, so he's probably going to (laughs) die. I mean, I was surprised by how little they tied it into the rest of the Marvel U, except for the credit scenes. Like, the credit scenes, that's solidly there. But, like, I expected more of that like we have a doctor based out of new york we don't even get any claire like although uh, you, you you should know that that fandom is already on the case <sighs> there is already doctor strange tony stark fic out there for you to find <laughs> If that's something that you want to look for in your time for whatever reason. You got any specific recs? No, I do not. Um, <laughs> the field is not yet big deep enough. Um, in that case, I'm gonna uh lead right in to our to our interview for this month. Um Yay! I talked to Ronan Cohn, a personal friend of mine, uh also happens to be well, uh, Z introduces themselves better than I can, so it's probably true. I'll I'll let them do it. Um, Enjoy, they're great. <laughs> hi, hi! Super excited to see you. Good to see you. Why don't you start off by like introducing yourself? All right. Hello, my name is Ronan Cohn. I live right here in Chicago. And uh, yes, as you probably guessed, I'm a massive geek. My my biggest public geekery is uh, I head up the band Time Crash. We write all original music about uh, the show Doctor Who, the Doctor and all his adventures. I do cosplay as a hobby, and I do roleplay online, and I'm just into a lot of different things. So I'm looking at the at the. I asked you beforehand how you identify. Oh yeah. Um, and you said be creative, so right. And you were. I like I like all of these actually. Um, liminal creature. 
Dapple, mm-hmm. dapper shapeshifter. Femme trans guyish. Mm-hmm. Guyish. Ish. Polyamorous pie bi sla- bisexual. Bisexual. <laughs> <laughs> like Dean Winchester. Right. Uh, you know what? I Dean Winchester and I have a lot of things in common. <laughs> Apparently, that is one of them. Um, polyamorous. I, I did not write bisexual. Right. No. <laughs> bi slash pansexual. Uh, Time Lord. Yeah. So, so Time Time Lord has been um, a, a winking part of my gender identity for a long time. You want to talk about it? Sure. Well. You know, because I'm a massive Doctor Who fan. And uh, I, it was a few years ago that I came up with the, the concept of the Doctor as, as sort of an analog for a trans experience. Um, which sort of dawned on me all at once. And now I tell people and they're like, wow! <laughs> um, although I'm not the first person at all to have thought of this. There's a book called Queer's Dake Time Lords where, it, where um, a trans woman talks about the, about regeneration um, mm-hmm. as like a trans analog, but um, I I did come up with that on my own before I read that, and the whole idea being yes, regeneration is sort of like rapid transition. The body changes, and if you think about uh, how the companions react to it, they have to adjust to the idea that this is still the same person that looks entirely different now. Um, in addition to that, uh, he doesn't go by the name that he grew up with and he, in a way, passes as human because a lot of other characters on the show don't recognize him as an alien until he, you know, comes out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is, yeah. Um, and I, you know, started saying how, like, the doctor is my trans hero and, um, I kind of adopted Time Lord as a funny sort of gender identity in the sense of the... Ooh, now I have to put something into words that I've never really quite put into words before. Um, In the sense of the Doctor being, yes, male-identified, but also the other and the alien, and being sort of this dapper guy who runs around and has adventures, and just encapsulating all of that into Time Lord. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. <laughs> um, you might know the answer to this. I'm I'm so far into fandom at this point that mm-hmm. I don't always know where canon ends. Okay. Um, do we know the Doctor's birth name? The name he was given on Gallifrey? No. Okay. No. No. Moffat just likes to pretend that we're always going to find out what it is. Right. And then we don't. Right. People were freaking out. I remember when when that episode, the name of the Doctor was coming out, and I was sitting there like, guys, guys. Calm guys. down. <laughs> Lady dudes. <laughs> this is Moffat we're talking about. He's he's gonna make it to be this huge thing, and then it's gonna be something completely different. But no, I, I like the fact that we don't know. Um, especially if you're using the Doctor as, like, a, a trans story. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, the whole, like, well, what's your real name bullshit. Right. Right, mm-hmm. um, that people have to go through. It, it, I, I I like the fact that Moff, as much as Moffat might drag it up, mm-hmm. it doesn't we, happen. We 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 can't know. I feel like right. uh, I feel like that would be a jump the shark moment for me if we ever actually found out. A jump the shark 
moment in an episode in a TV series that doesn't have an episode with Cleopatra and a dinosaur. Yeah, that that says something. But there are, but you know, there are rules of the universe, right? And the rules are completely ridiculous, right? But one of the rules is the Doctor's name is, you know, secret or like it's just not who he is anymore, right? The Doctor is the Doctor. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Like I said, I was watching your episode about your tattoos earlier. Oh, yes. Uh-huh. And I should explain what you mean by my episode, because I actually haven't mentioned Now Z Here yet. Um, now Z Here is, a, is, is my vlog, basically. Um, I started it at the beginning of this year to track my, um, you know, my physical transition, because I just started taking testosterone in February. And also to just have a have a vlog have a space where i can blather on about this that or the other thing and yeah i I did have an episode where i talk about my my what i call my queer fandom tattoos um i have one for for the listeners um i have one that is the the seal of the time lords the new seal of the time lords not the seal of raslan because fuck that guy um in as the circular part inside the Mercury symbol, which is the which has been adopted as like the genderqueer symbol, and then on my other forearm, I have one of the flowers from BBC Sherlock, the the wallpaper, as kind of the circle part on the trans symbol, with the arrow and the line going across. And um, yeah, there was a time because I had four tattoos already, and I realized that none of them had anything to do with being queer or being in fandom, and I said I need to fix this. <laughs> And because of my ideas about the Doctor being trans and Time Lords in general being fairly non-binary, because now that's canon, which is awesome, um, and also having some more nebulous but still very feelsy to me ideas about Sherlock Holmes lining also up with, with a, a trans narrative, that it just seemed like a natural idea to smush the two things together. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Thank you, Mr. Gaiman, for making that canon. Mm-hmm. Um, was that was that Gaiman? That was the that was the doctor the episode that with House and the TARDIS and Oh yes, yes. Right, right, it right. was it was that offhand comment about the uh, the Corsair. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Who I really just want to show up. A, a lot about. Yeah. I just want <laughs> I just want pages and pages of just like this is the Corsair and what they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm sorry. Missy happened, and like everything else, got exploded out of my mind because she's awesome. Missy is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, just in about every single way. But yeah, that episode that was the was the episode where I was just like, "Fandom is gonna lose its shit." And it did. It did. It was great. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm just a fan of Gaiman's work in general. So. Oh yeah. So Doctor Who. Doctor got, Who. You got down. You're also. Um, Cosplaying, and I'm really interested yes. in like the the. I'm really interested in cosplay for lots of reasons because I think it does a thing that not a lot of other kinds of like fandom do. Okay, which is like you take up a sp- you take up space, like you're visible in fandom. Yeah, as opposed to like <laughs> as opposed to like on the interwebs. Yep, I was and I had to laugh at take up space <laughs> because. My sort of main cosplay at the moment is Cole from Dragon Age <laughs> with this giant ass hat. 
<laughs> I was just at, I was just at Gen Con, and it was the only costume I brought because Gen Con's more of a gaming convention. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had to when I was going on the sky bridge between the hotel and the convention center, I had to go sideways because the hat wouldn't fit through the door <laughs> otherwise. Oh, <no>. <laughs> so yes, taking up space. That's doubly funny because of. Because of Cole, and yeah, how very much he does not take up space no. for like seventy percent of the game. Mm-hmm. Cosplay is sort of an area that I can't speak to a lot. So, okay. like, if you want, if you want to go into more detail, um, but I have a lot of friends who are in the cosplay community and are like involved in crossplay or mm-hmm. involved in like cosplay as a person of color, right? Um, and are sort of like doing this thing where they're embodying. Embody your faves. Yes. As, as like, non-standard representations of them, and I think that's really interesting. Specifically as, like, as fans who don't fit what people might think the character should look like. Right. Um, and and I, I, have, I have a lot of feels about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Do share. Yes. Well, you know, there's, there's, there seems to sort of be two different schools of cosplay, and I'm not saying that you you can't accept both ideas at the same time, but it seems like if you're cosplaying, you're kind of going for one or the other. Right. And the one school being sort of what you're describing, which is you love this character and you wanna you wanna just put on their clothes and walk around and, and put on their mannerisms and be them. And then the other one is you're a guy who really looks like Captain America. <laughs> so you cosplay as Captain America. I see a lot of Tony Starks that yeah. I feel like <laughs> You know, I mean, props to the people who can be, like, so screen accurate, but I'm very much in the school of, I love this character, I just want to, like, be them over here. Right. Do you, uh, do you do the, I guess, how much of, how much of cosplay is RP for you? Because you talk about, mm. like, putting on the mannerisms, and that's something that I feel like a lot of people would think is the next step. Yeah. Well, I, I, I grew up being being a performer, being an actor, my my background is in theater. And part of the reason that I I didn't pursue acting as a total career mm-hmm. is because I started dipping my toe in it and realized that making a living at this was going to mean playing a lot of characters I really was not interested in. So hey, who are these characters I am interested in? Instead, I can make their costumes and just walk around a con and be them, and or go online and do like collaborative writing uh, with other people as them. So there is a bit of the of the actor in it for me, you know. Um, trying to pick up the the body language and the facial expressions is just as much for me as making the clothes. And I also tie cosplay a lot to my own, you know trans narrative because the first time I wore a sports bra to flatten my chest it was to be Yue Kato from Angel Sanctuary uh, and this was in college and thinking back on it I find that I, I, I find it hard to wrap my mind around an experience that starts with crossplay and doesn't end in some kind of gender revelation mm. and I understand that those people exist they're everywhere <laughs> But I look at them, and now there's a clear divide in my mind of, oh, I'm not you. Like that. There's there's a there was a through line for me that happened, that it was like it couldn't have gone any other way for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was 
No, I, I, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that sort of like, it's like getting on a roller coaster mm-hmm. and being like, oh, this is just going to be, we're just going to, we're just going to go up this little hill. It's going to be fine. We're just going to go up. And, and once you're on the roller coaster, there is nowhere you can go but to the yeah. end of the roller coaster. <laughs> as mm-hmm. opposed to like, I don't, have, I don't have a metaphor for this because I haven't lived it. Um, the right. like it just being like, I am going to get on this bumper car, and, and I'm going to get off. I'm going to get off. It's going to be fine. When I feel like it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and and at the end, you both have had a really good time, but it's been a very different experience. I like it. No, I get that. Works for me. So I, I wanted to talk about you put on here doing trans readings of characters, not necessarily from a headcanon perspective, mm-hmm. but more as a what-if. Yeah. Um, for, for, for those of us at home <laughs> who, are, who are still grappling with the ideas of headcanons, right. I know that there are a couple of you. There's also a difference of definition of what a headcanon actually is. Sure. So when I say not a head, when I think of a headcanon, I think of... Stuff, stuff I invent to fill in the blanks about a character or stuff I extrapolate right. from canon evidence that says, oh, this person probably really likes classical music because of XYZ. Right. And it sort of becomes part of my canon idea of the character. Whereas, you know, if uh, li- lining up a character's story with a trans narrative is not necessarily that because I don't, I'm not like reading it into... The story that exists. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Sure. So more as a what if, like, um, and looking for parallels to trans narratives. Like you yeah. were talking about parallels to trans narratives in Doctor Who. Doctor Who, mm-hmm. absolutely. Talk to me more as like what ifs. Like, what does that look like for you? Or what characters do you? What characters do you like doing what ifs for? Any characters um, you like, or sometimes. Or use, give me examples. Examples. Um, well, at some, sometimes, honestly, it's very superficial. I, I know um, when I... This was a few years ago when I was really just sort of like figuring out my gender identity. I had this idea of Charlie from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia being a trans guy. Okay. Because he's short and hairy. Like, that was literally... And has small hands. Like, that was... The okay. whole thing. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I should apologize to Charlie Day for that. Fandoms have been made on less. It's not, pretty, it's not yeah. like dam- damning. Like, no, and, yeah. I, and I also think there's a corner of the Always Sunny fandom that has kind of latched onto that idea also. Sure. So sometimes it's like that. Sometimes it's the, the BBC Sherlock situation where it's... Well, with Sherlock, it's just very easy to put whatever identity you want to put on to him because he's he's such an enigma in that sense Mm -hmm. um but the idea of him being very very guarded in himself in you know his his sexuality such as it may or may not be you know what might be a reason for that etc um so there's a lot of different directions to come at it from Mm -hmm. and i think it's a an interesting way to read into narratives to read ourselves into narratives when there isn't a whole lot of explicitly trans characters out there to choose from do you think that that's like helped your this this question is going to come out strangely because i don't know how to phrase it Mm -hmm. like helped your path into fandom 
Like, is that one of the things that makes it easier, more enjoyable, more, like, accessible for you? Or is that something that you've sort of taken fandom and been like, yes, but also, like, I would be here anyway, but we're going to do this with it now, and I'm going to have fun over here. More like the second one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. You're listening to Marginally Geek, produced in partnership with Fake Geek Girl Productions. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, and iTunes. Please, please, please listen, rate, review, subscribe, all of those beautiful things. Um, You can also email us with your comments, questions, compliments at marginallygeek at gmail.com. And let's get back to the show. Talk to me about your rare pairs, though. Ah, yes. Like, does that... I, I'm, like, destined to be to sh- be a rare pair shipper just in my life. That <laughs> seems to be what happens. I don't do it on purpose. Right. Because um, I know you're Adlock. Yes. And part of, part of the Adlock yacht, as we're called. <laughs> the yacht. On yachts. Tumblr. Yes, because we're a small boat, but we're very fancy. <laughs> okay. Yes. <laughs> I, yes. Okay. Yep. Um... Probably the 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 rarest ship I have shipped in recent times is um, Solus and Cole in Dragon Age. You're making an no. uncertain face. No, I because I haven't played Trespasser yet, for okay. which I realize that I'm like a, a bad person. Mm. But that I can see that right. Is that really that small? Like. I went on AO3, Archive of Our Own, for people who don't fanfiction, and there were two. Two fix under that tag. Then there were three, because I wrote one. (laughs) (laughs) For those of of y'all at home, um, gosh, to... are we about to explain fanfiction? Uh, I I was trying to be like, Solus and Cole are these characters, and I'm just like... Overwhelmed by well, first you have to know the history of elves. So, Solus, Solus is a a mage who's really into like the world of dreams and spirits. Cole is a spirit who came out of the world of spirits and became kind of a person. And this doesn't happen very much. And um, Cole actually has a line where he says about Solus, the the elven mage understands. Um, so. In, in canon, at least, there's some relationship between them where they have this understanding of each other and parts of the world that nobody else really does. Mm-hmm. And I, I wasn't surprised that it was a rare pair because there's so much Solus and the Inquisitor. It's, like, one of the main ships of ever. And, yeah. I'm sure you've played the end of Cole's, like, personal quests mm-hmm. with Solus and the party. Cause, cause when I did it, and you know, oh, you mean like gone through Cole's character, yeah, plotline, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, oh, right, yes, right, that, yeah, <laughs> right. Because that's because that's the moment I originally went to and was like, yeah, no, I can totally see it. Fandom, every anytime you have two characters with tension, fandom will take that and run. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a really tense scene in that in that last quest where we start talking about what it is to be a person and, mm-hmm. like, who's allowed to access personhood in the same way, sort of. And 
Solus has some feels. Yes. So Solus has a lot of feels. <laughs> I've, not that anybody in Dragon Age can Doesn't. Be, does not have yeah. feels. Um, but like Solus is the feels brigade when it comes to spirits mm-hmm. of any kind. And he's just like very upset about I'm not this isn't my this isn't my pairing, so feel free to correct my reading. Okay. Um about like corrupting Cole. Mm. Um, or, like, Cole being, like, being a person in the way that the Inquisitor understands people. Right. Um. Yeah. No, I think that's right. Um, and this is, this is one of the areas in which I feel like I have hashtag unpopular opinions. Mm. Because I played, I played Spirit Cole first. Um, there, there's a point in the game where you decide whether Cole will be more like a spirit or more like a human being. Um, that's basically all I have to know. <laughs> and my Inquisitor listened to Solus's argument and was like, yeah, he seems to know what he's talking about. So mm. I did Spirit Cole. And I like it better, I think. What happens in Spirit I haven't done that you yet. You don't even know? No, no, spoil me. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically he just sort of becomes... There's, there's a cutscene where... He shows up and he's being a little, even a little more word salad than he has been in the past. Um, but then the Inquisitor kind of gets through to him and he, and he says, I'm happy. And I feel like spirit, hu- human Cole is interesting because he gets the, you know, the complexities of humanity and he, he starts to understand a few things about reality a little more. But spirit Cole is just comfortable in himself. And mm. knows who he is, and just does what he does, and it, it's it's bittersweet at the end because he is is still holding on to the pain of his character origins, which I'm not going to get into because that would add like so much time to this conversation. <laughs> but he lets them go, and he forgets. He makes himself forget, mm. and the the Inquisitor kind of looks at him like Cole, and he goes. You may still call me by that name. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So the end, the end is a little bit like, mm, but I like that it's like that, that there isn't necessarily a good choice or a bad choice. And this is something that the creators have said, mm-hmm. like they wanted to make Cole's plotline one where there wasn't a solid, this is the correct decision. Tell me more about like your, like, relationship with the Cole character because mm-hmm. you like you cosplay this person you yeah. care a lot about about him why like uh man well so the the first time I saw Cole on the screen I said I want to cosplay you because because he's like this scrawny little dude with bags under his eyes and a crazy hat and then I got to love the character um I so more explanation for people who may not know because um, I explained already that Cole is a spirit who came into the real world. Um, he's a spirit of compassion. All he cares about, all he really ever, ever wants to do is help people. And that can mean a lot of things, um, including mercy killings sometimes. But it also means he, at one point, he, like, steals a bunch of daggers from some guys who are about to get in a fight and hides them so they won't kill each other. Uh, He, you know, helps 
someone forget the 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 pain of this lover who who left her who's no longer with her that's just his entire motivation is to be kind and do what people need in their lives um and that that motivation carries over if he goes if he goes human but and this is i think where solace's you know feels about it come in it starts to become a little muddied there's a bit of dialogue um, about how it's now harder for him to hear people's pain mm. he's now becoming a human so he has to like figure it out the way the rest of us do <laughs> right yeah instead of just knowing what has to be done um yeah and he does just know how it has what has to be done earlier like one of his chain quests that you can do for him is going and doing these seemingly nonsensical things that end up making people's lives better right right like throwing turnips in a fire <laughs> yep 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 um and uh, like it's sometimes hard to figure out what it is that he wants mm-hmm but, but it's perfectly clear right. to him. Oh, it's perfectly clear. Something that something that dawned on me as I started to explore his character more is that Cole actually has a great deal of self-confidence. He says all these ridiculous things, but he's like, no, this is just the way it is. Right, <laughs> right. It's not even... I, I, and, like, self-confidence, yes. But I he's, feel like he doesn't necessarily have a great... Like, he doesn't have a big sense of self when we get to know him. No. Like... Only a little bit. Right. If you read, there's um, a, there's a novel um, that is his backstory, and um, he really doesn't have a sense of self in. But <laughs> right. <laughs> he has a little right. bit of one in the game. He's got a ma- he's got a, such a great character arc. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely assured that what he needs to do is the right thing to do. Yeah, and it, um, and yeah, it's not arrogant. It's like no, this is just what I have to do. Right. Right. <laughs> this is just this is just how this is going to work. Thank you for assisting me. Mm-hmm. No, I like him a lot. Yeah. And I can totally see... I'm really surprised that there's not more of him in Solus. But yeah, okay. so get on that fandom. <laughs> fandom. Join. Consider this your call Join the revolution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I wanted to... Because you've talked about, like, compassion. And I think mm-hmm. that you talk about that a lot in Nowsy here. Yeah. Some some Buddhism slips in there. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a baby Zen. <laughs> <laughs> baby Zen. That's, isn't the, I, it's my understanding, not being one, mm-hmm. that... All Zen are babies in, like yeah, <laughs> pretty much right. Um, but you talk about, and I like your wording here. I'm just going to quote you. Uh, okay, very passionate about being chill, relaxed, and groovy when it comes to fandom things. Mm-hmm. Which one? I like that sort of, that sort of. I'm very passionate about being very chill. Chill is great. Yes, um, right. <laughs> um, but I also like. And I'm saying this specifically as we end that note of to arms fandom, to the boards. Right. Um, like the idea of being chill in fandom and like relaxed in fandom. Yeah. Which, well, because there's, there's, there's a difference between, you know, being passionate about the thing that you like. And yes, up the thing that you like. But don't, don't go attacking the other things. Right. Is that... That's that more what it what is. what you're talking about there? Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean... You lead a truck band, or you're the lead singer of a truck band. Mm-hmm. You're massively involved in the co- cosplay and like con world. Yep. 
I don't know about mass. Like, well, like, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm involved. You're in it. You're involved. I'm involved. You're around. Yeah. Um, so, like, I don't think anybody would accuse you of not being passionate about the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, having that sort of... And I think it is sort of like a compassionate attitude towards other people in the thing. Mm-hmm. It is is really cool. Um, Thanks. And I wanted to know if you wanted to talk more about that. Like, um, I it's... could. I'm just not sure exactly what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Because really, the 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 crux of it is do the stuff. Do what makes your heart make the smile emoji. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and and just let everybody else do what makes their heart make the smile emoji. And you know, I I, I did have a bit of a reckoning for myself um, earlier this year, where I realized that I'm into a lot of problematic things. And I need to be more careful how I talk about them mm. online because I know people who can get triggered by these things. And if I get too carried away in my enthusiasm for that stuff, it can cause a bad day for somebody else. So that's all. It, so it isn't also necessarily just always be loud and enthusiastic about the things. Right. You have to have compassion for the spaces that you're in and be mindful of when, you know, you like something that could ruin somebody else's day. And I had to, I had to, I had to struggle with the thought of, does this make me a bad, messed up person? Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I just have different parameters for what bothers me and what doesn't. And I have to respect other people's parameters as well. Yeah, as, a, as, as another person who's into, like, problematic faves. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. Um... Did that? Do you want to talk about like what that meant for you? Like, like is there an example of how that worked, or if you don't want to talk about that, that's cool. um. What I mean, what I basically did was I went and set up a separate fandom blog, um, and I I'm not very active on it just because I'm not very active on Tumblr currently. Sure, um, but. I very diligently tag everything, and I have a page of things I tag. Right. Like, if you're new to my blog, go here, look at the things I tag in case you want to block something. Right. Um, That's basically it. Bless (laughs) XKit. Without which no one would be on the Tumblr. Um, That makes makes a lot of sense, and I think that that's that's something I do. I have a hard time being aware of sometimes, I think. Because, like... I don't know. To me, it's it's just a thing I love. I love this thing. It's so great. It's so isn't it great? What? I want to shout about it. Right. Yeah. What do you mean it's a problem? Yeah. <laughs> like there are some examples, like Dean Winchester and Supernatural in general. Mm. I am behind on Supernatural. I gave up on Supernatural. I gave up on Supernatural a while ago. I'm going to end up watching all of it one day because I know I am. Mm-hmm. But like even in the heyday of my I love this thing. It was still a problem. Like yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't watch Supernatural, the first two seasons of Supernatural, and not be like, okay, mm. so what are we, what are we, what are we saying here? I mean, <laughs> it's not it's not all pie and road trips. No, this is, there's some problems. 
But my immediate reaction to people who pointed out the problems was like, well, I don't yuck your yum, don't yuck mine. Mm -hmm. I was a younger kid. We all had our days. (laughs) But like being, being able to get to that point where I was like, oh, wait, no, this is a problem in a way that like needs to be recognized. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a a journey. Yes. And, and to reiterate again, not, not turning that like into self-loathing on yourself. Right. Like I get enjoyment out of this. Therefore I am like sick or something. Right, right, right. Or I'm not. I don't care enough about the problems, mm-hmm. right? I'm a bad feminist because I like Dean, Dean Winchester. <laughs> no, you just Dean Winchester's not a great feminist. That's the right. difference. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like that. I think that's important. And Time Crash just released a new EP, right? We did. Yeah, brand new EP. It's called the Empty EP, and yeah, you can find that right now on Bandcamp. Um, We've got we've got our Facebook page. We've got our website timecrashband.com. First so. albums on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you mentioned your Patreon. You want to mention your Patreon? Sure, I have one. Um, where it's it's sort of a it's just kind of an amalgam of support for the things that I do on my own. It's not connected with Time Crash, um, but it is connected with Nowzy here and also with um, my solo music. And um, some art modeling work that I'm that I'm trying to get going. So that's Patreon.com/slash Mass Hysteria Music, and that's where you can find that. Awesome. Yeah, I think we covered almost everything. Thank Sweet. you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Marginally Geek. You can find us on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes under that name. And you can also email us at marginallygeek at gmail.com. Our artistic producer and host is Lucas Babb. Executive producer is me, Lauren Yarbrough. Our theme song is by Ronan Cohn. Z can be found at patreon.com forward slash mass hysteria music as well as at facebook.com forward slash now z here our logo was created by mike miller you can find his work at michaelmiller.co and marginally geek is produced in partnership with fake geek girl productions Presented by Fake Geek Girl Productions, gracing the internet with gynocentric geek comedy since 2015. For more hilarity, find us on social media at FGGPeeps and visit FGGPeeps.com.